Lockdown Diaries with Jack Kirby Lowe, episode 32. Hi everyone, uh, it is the 9th of June uh, in the evening time and what you're about to listen to is a conversation I've had over Skype with a couple of friends um, about the Black Lives Matter uh, protests and associated themes. Um, so yeah, uh, perhaps a little content war- warning, we're talking about racism in this uh, podcast. Um, I just was very aware that as a as a white guy, I wanted to not steal the oxygen um, from the people's whose voices need to be heard right now, um, and also wanted better perspective on things. Um, so yeah, I spoke to a couple of friends, um, people of colour, um, that can offer that. So I hope you enjoy what you're about to listen to. So I've got with me today um, a couple of friends. Well, uh, one old friend and one new friend, um, just to talk about Black Lives Matter and sort of allyship, because um, I've spoken uh, on a couple of podcasts already just about um, the current protests and, and George Floyd and lots of things. But I'm sort of very aware of myself as being a very white, very male, uh, dare I say, almost middle-aged uh, guy and just I, I just don't think my voice is really the most valuable one to have on this subject matter so I really want to talk to a couple of my friends who are people of colour um, just to sort of um, talk about that and um, Kaya uh, who I've known for a long time um, she wrote a really good Facebook post just about um, white people being allies and I was going to sort of use that as the framework of our conversation but um, yeah uh, We've got Kyra Mishka. Hi, guys. Uh, would you like to introduce yourselves? Hi. Hi. <laughs> so I'm Mishka. I'm the nominated Black Voice <laughs> for this evening, it would seem. Um, so I'm, I'm not really sure if I'm best place. There's always a bit of a panic in terms of being the Black person in the room, having to say all the right things and know all the right things and all the history. But, you know, I guess I can only speak about my lived experience and how I feel about the events as they affect people I know and myself. Um, so yeah, that that's me. <laughs> cool. Um, and I'm not Mishka, I'm Kaya, and I am, am a non-black person of color, woman of color. And I suppose uh, I'd like to say activist, but I feel like I don't do enough to call myself that, but um, someone who tries to engage with um, social justice issues. I'm a lawyer by day job, <clears throat> so ideas of justice are generally important to me, but then also my lived experience, which is not as a black woman, but is as a woman of colour, um, informs some of that and some of my views. And I also grew up in a place where m- the majority of my friends for a long time were white. And so I think I have a lot of exposure to... Um, people outside of a particular frame of reference who might be well-intentioned but maybe don't really know where to start or sometimes do harbour or carry problematic ideas that they're not aware of. Cool. I mean, I'd just like to preface, I guess, by saying um, if during the course of this conversation, if I say anything that is uh, outmoded, offensive, or I've just got it completely wrong, please just do not hesitate for a single second to shut me shut me down <laughs> and, uh, and put me straight because I yeah I don't I I'm here to listen really rather than to sort of um, 
speak. I guess I want to go through the things that you wrote, Kaya, but I, I guess it might just be useful just um, just to get what your. I mean, obviously the the murder of um, George Floyd, which uh, you know has has sparked this this most recent um, unrest and protests around Black Lives Matter. I mean, it's obviously just the latest incident in a long, long line. But I, I guess it'd just be useful to hear sort of what your initial feelings and response, emotional responses to that was when it was uh, when the news broke um, the week before last, I think it was now. I just did what I think most of us should do, which is um, try and amplify the more relevant voices in the room if they have capacity. Um, for me, I think I, I don't know, it feels unkind to say I'm surprised, uh, but I suppose I wasn't, obviously I wasn't surprised, um, sadly, when I heard the news. Um, as you said, Jack, it's, it's another in a long, 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 long line of incidents and, um, I don't know that what happened to George Floyd, I don't think it's helpful to think in terms of worse than anyone else or anything like that. So I think that's why for me, um, whatever is in the air or, you know, maybe it's something to do with isolation, but I am surprised that suddenly people seem to care. And I guess that might sound unkind um, when, when framed in that way. Um, but I think for me, obviously, when I saw what happened, and it's always a really hard tussle up as to watch these videos, um, mm. because I think, you know, I don't know how frequently a, a white life being treated with such indignity and brutality is plastered all over social media for everyone to sort of watch in a kind of grotesque way. So part of me is like, oh, you know, do I bear witness to what's happened and watch this thing or do I not because this is a human being and someone's dad and someone's family member or friend and I'm just sat in my living room watching the last moments of their life like I never actually really know where, whether I want to or should watch these videos when they come out but I did because ultimately I fell on the side of I want to be an activist about these issues and so I'm going to watch with the intention of educating myself and equipping myself to have conversations so that's where I personally fell down on it and obviously it was um, enraging to watch and I can only imagine I mean that's not someone who looks like me um, so I can't really speak to the experience of someone else watching it but it was enraging um, and then as much as surprise, I think it was also enraging to see suddenly loads of people talking about it in social media, like this is the first time this has happened. Mm. I don't still fully understand what the tipping point is, but part of me is a little bit like, you know, where, where have you all come from? Like, why is everyone um, sort of paying attention now? Why are people who've never really talked about these issues suddenly talking about them now? Uh, and obviously it's a good thing, but part of me did feel a bit... Um, I don't know, sort of, I don't know. I, I don't know if angry is the right word, but unsure how to feel about that. Um, I think uh, having spoken to a few friends of mine, there's a school of thought that says because of the lockdown and the limitations placed on everybody because of COVID, people have a lot more time to think about things. They have a lot more time to be angry in general about feeling marginalized for whatever reason. Then this happened. Um, I think it's just sort of galvanized people, but I don't know. That's that's just 
what some people are thinking. I think in terms of how I feel about it and speaking to black friends that I have, I mean, it's sort of been the sole topic of conversation that we've all been having. People have felt really hurt, I think, very wounded. People do feel angry, but mm. people feel overwhelmed, I think is the general feeling that I have. And black friends and family members just feel overwhelmed and exhausted by it all because as Kyle's sort of saying, there's there's nothing new here, whether black bodies are dying or not. A lot of the subtle injustices that happen, um, this is just a kind of like massive gremlin monster being demonstrated. And it just, yes, obviously someone has died and lost their life, but it's not. there's nothing new here. There's no new injustice mm. that's happening here. There's no new insult that's happening here. Um, it's, it's just been done in such an obvious way. And so I think, uh, as Kaya's saying, that all these conversations that are now happening, everyone's being interested, feeling that they have to say the right thing or not the right thing. This is just life. Um, and it depends, I suppose, the circles in which you live. So if you're working and living, which many of us are, in white spaces, dominated by white voices, seeing things through a white gaze, you know, this is just another thing that you feel you have to explain to people and feel that you have to have conversations about. And for me, I can about myself initially you're excited about this you're like oh yes finally i get to explain to you this is the reality of my life then by day two you're like oh i'm tired because even within yourself you don't fully explain these things because you, you can't live like that you can't live every single day being affronted by the society that you live in how are you going to sort of carry on and, you know, obviously that's just one aspect of a life that you're living. You're still dealing with loads of other things, whether it be anxiety about stuff or money stuff or family things. So how you're seen just by walking out your front door, by the color of your skin or by perceived cultural norms that you have or don't have and all this kind of stuff, it's just another layer on top. So then for people to be pointing out to you the obvious that you live every day can be, I think, exhausting. Mm. I, I I hear you. I I could, yeah. I, well, I appreciate that. You know, uh, as you said, your initial sort of excitement of being able to explain that, and then the exhaustion that you must feel uh, having to do so constantly. So, well, first of all, thank you for taking the time to do so here in this format. And I hope, <laughs> I hope maybe you you know this is uh, you have to have the conversation too many yeah, more it's times. Very important. It's people. Important. Yeah. I mean, I, I think as. Kyra, in your post, you said, um, I think towards the end, that, um, you know, it's important that, you know, white people educate themselves so they can have these conversations. So it doesn't take this exhausting psychic toll on, on people of colour and black people in the community um, to have to keep explaining these things. So I, re I really appreciate that. And what you were saying about, you know, being unsure whether to watch the video from a, which, I mean, there's a level of exploitation there in seeing someone being killed on camera. And I mean, I've, I've, I, I watched the video too, but it was with the same sort of caveats. Like, is this really, do I, do I want to see someone being killed um, on film? But again, yeah, I, I felt like I had to, I guess. I don't know. It's, it, it is a weird one. And yeah, talking about sort of all of this happening in the background of, of, the, of the lockdown coronavirus and Maybe that is just a very cynical way of why people are paying more attention right now than than when very similar things have happened in the past. Um, so yeah, it's no, also that's... important. I think. I mean, again, I don't think this explains it fully, but it also came on the back of um, Breonna Taylor. Yeah. 
Armand Aubrey. Yeah. Uh, and um, the, um, I forget her name now. I don't suppose she's particularly a, a name particularly worth um, repeating. The lady in Central Park. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, and that incident. So I think um, a, a few things happened um, back to back, I suppose, um, one after another. But again, that's not that's not uncommon. And um, one of the posts I saw online was about um, uh, the number of uh, black trans people in the US who mm. get murdered at an extremely high rate. Um, including by police brutality and how that uh, that is also something that needs to be looked at and amplified. But again, I don't know that this was a particularly higher number of events than there are as usual. And just maybe people could pay more attention because of lockdown. I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, unclear. But I, I mean, exhaustion aside, it is very good that these conversations are being had. Mm. Um, and from speaking to other people, the fact that maybe CEOs or heads of departments or people like that are having these conversations in the workplaces with their staff, organizing Zoom meetings and stuff like that, and normalizing the fact that a large portion proportion of our staff potentially are having these experiences and living this trauma, um, that being recognized by someone who doesn't look like you and doesn't experience what you experience is very powerful. Mm. Um, and there have been tears and, you know, people have felt, I think, vulnerable or safe enough in that environment to share those feelings. So good has come from it. As more yeah, I... yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of people often sort of say, you know, protest never achieves anything. I think there's been real sort of, well, it seems to me that there's been real gains and real changes, as you've just described, quite quickly in a lot of ways. Certainly, it's, it's it feels like a conversation that more people are having. And I mean, it's been on the news just just now that there's um, one of the streets in in Bristol is going to rename. They're not. It's named after a slave owner, mm. uh, and they're going to change that. that. Mm. Yeah. So this. And certainly is. You know, um, surprising. I've never before seen because I think it's also important to remember that anti-blackness doesn't just exist in white people. Mm. There are lots of communities of color. I'm of South Asian heritage. And there's a huge problem of, of colorism and anti-blackness in the South Asian community. Um, and I think, uh, and, you know, I know in the Latinx community, it's also an issue. And so I think, <clears throat> and there's multiple reasons behind that and lots of post-colonial politics and stuff that goes into that. But the, the, the end result is that it's not just white people, it's also other people of colour, which is why it's so important to make the distinction between people of colour and black people when talking mm. about this particular issue. Um, because, you know, certainly I grew up in a community where, you know, if you spent too much time outside, you know, uncles and aunties would scurry you in and say, oh, no, no, don't stay too long in the sun or you'll go black. Um and oh you know this this girl is beautiful because she's fairer skinned and you have community you know countries and cultures where they sell things like fair and lovely to make you know skin bleaching and skin lightening oh, yeah. creams so um you know I, I, it's also the first time i'm seeing things like south asians for black lives matter and mm -hmm. lots of stuff like that on instagram of people um in these uh, communities of color challenging their parents for example 
and um, you know using biryani analogies and things to try and like make make arguments about why all lives matter is nonsense or what privilege is and and all of these sorts of things so I think that would you uh, would you mind uh, elaborating on the biryani analogy for all lives matter and why that doesn't work (laughs) I've not heard that one so it's um, it's a really great Instagrammer called Paper Samosa, and they do really brilliant, um, funny T-shirts, actually, usually, which I uh, enjoy. Uh, <laughs> but they've been part of this South Asians for Black Lives Matter movement on Instagram. And they did a post, um, basically, which was a, a cartoon depiction of a daughter and a mother having a conversation, a a Desi, a brown daughter and mother having a conversation about Black Lives Matter. And I think the the mother says something all lives matter-esque, maybe even all lives matter. And um, the daughter uses biryani as an analogy and says, imagine if you were at a dinner table and everyone got served biryani um, except you. And um, when you're asking for your biryani, uh, your family member says, but all plates matter. Um, and like, that's the sort of, there's a much more protracted biryani analogy. But anyway, <laughs> point is that uh, it, was, it was using like cultural reference points from the South Asian community to tackle anti-blackness. And I have in my lifetime never seen that kind of um, activism or posts or content before. I'm sure it's existed, but it's certainly Mm. um, not something that I've been had drawn to my attention. And there's a lot of that kind of thing going on at the moment. Um, That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, I guess going on to sort of just look at some of the things that you mentioned about about allyship. uh, The first one was um, educating uh, ourselves really on on systemic racism uh, and anti-blackness, and I mean, I, I, I guess again, another. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm I'm not going to purport myself to be any kind of expert or anything like that, but um, just the amount of ignorance that people have around, well, our history here in the UK and in the United States as well, and people not truly understanding racism as a as a systemic thing, you know. I've been surprised. I guess I'm in my little liberal bubble or whatever, but it does. I mean, is that something that you have recognised a lot that just people don't seem to get it on a fundamental level, or or are more people are educated? Or I don't know. What would you think around that? I I think that people have been socialised not to get it, because I think that if, as an entire nation of people, they did get it, it'd be very difficult for people to live with themselves that you've been complicit in the subjugation of a, of a people that have done nothing to you. And so I think that it, it is very difficult and also people would fight against that feeling of wanting to get it because it's, it's painful. It's painful to white people to acknowledge that they are part of the problem that they see in front of them. And also I think taking yourself out of the individual complicitness of that, like, you Jack have not done this or no one, but you know, unfortunately being part of the system that you or, or anybody really comfortably sits in, whether it be liberalism or classism or all sorts of different things and the privileges that that would afford you means that there is 
complicitness that has happened. I just wanted to say, actually, I'm not really sure if this is appropriate or not for this podcast, but, you know, we speak about other people of colour and white people. Some black people are also very complicit in, in this problem for various reasons, perhaps. Maybe self-preservation, maybe post-colonial issues. Um, mm. Colorism is very strong in the black community as well. But, you know, it does serve some people in the black community to not look at these issues and to turn a blind eye. Because also for, for some of us, it's very painful. You know, I mean, I know that I've learned a lot in the past couple of weeks as well, particularly in the US. It's not, you know, I'm from Jamaica. It's not something that I'm super familiar with. Um, Kai mentioned earlier about trans people being killed at mm -hmm. an alarming rate. That wasn't something that I knew very much about before a few weeks ago. I knew that it happened, but I didn't realize the disproportionate amount of black trans people who were killed by people in their own communities or by the police and stuff like that. So I think, I think it's just a challenging thing. I think it's just tricky. And it just goes back to that whole thing of making yourself that little bit uncomfortable yeah. to make a change. You don't have to be out changing legislation to make a change. You can make a change by conversations in your own life with people and yourself. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I'm glad to hear you say that because, like, just the, I, I spend a lot of my time on Twitter, which is probably not healthy. But, um, <laughs> you know, some of the responses to that people are saying and just sort of basically denying that racism or prejudice against black people exists even even just a microcosm it's like why mm. why is that so hard for someone to even acknowledge and mm. i think it's absolutely what you've said is true because if you acknowledge it then you have to acknowledge your own complicitness in that and it's just i mean on the education subject i mean it's ridiculous i i only did history up to year nine i didn't i didn't do it at gcc or anything but we you know, we learn about the Tudors and there's a big jump to World War Two. <laughs> like that there's a big, big five hundred years or something of history. Forget there, all that, that. Just, just just move on quickly. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And it's just, you know, you uh, again looking at my own upbringing and things, like we we didn't holiday much outside of the UK and stuff, but like we'd go to like some big old country manor house or something and it's this enormous estate and you just think in how retrospect how did that get <laughs> exactly and, <laughs> and you're absolutely right i mean the in wealth of this nation um the reason it was an imperial power and right, has right. any kind of power today is completely built off the back of slavery and like right. it's just it's awful <laughs> it's awful <laughs> i think yeah people get upset about knocking over a statue yeah. <laughs> it's just right. it's it's insane. I, I, but I think it's oh. also what makes, for me, what makes it more insane and actually um, something that I find quite painful is that I wasn't taught about myself mm -hmm. at school. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people and young children of colour. Um, and, and there's a real damage to that, actually, because then, I mean... Like you said, at school, I learned a lot. I think I did the Tudors three times, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I get those Tudors covered. God, really, like, I know a lot about Henry VIII. Um, and then I watched a lot of um, US television as a child. And I think a lot of the shows in the 90s, certainly I feel very privileged to have watched. Like, I know it sounds silly, but shows like, you know, Sister, Sister, Keenan and Kel, mm -hmm. all those like yeah, American yeah. 
shows that had African-American lead characters and plainly writers, I think, although I haven't checked that, but I would guess so. And they often did episodes about, you know, Harriet Tubman and the civil rights movement and all of these things. And it sounds, you know, it's embarrassing to say, but I remember being little and being like, okay, like what happened to brown? Where did brown people come from? Like, I just didn't understand where I came from. And it's not just, you know, that's true for brown people. That's true for black people. That's true for, um, you know, everyone who's, you know, all of the ex-Commonwealth nations and the people who were, you know, brought to the UK post-World War II to essentially replenish the workforce. Like, you have a huge number of people in this country and children who aren't being taught who they are. Um, and neither are their companions or compatriots being taught who they are and why they're here yeah <laughs> in all of the movies about world war Two, it's just you know all, all you know seas and seas and seas of white soldiers and that's just not reflected of of the reality which was millions of soldiers um were brought in from uh the west indies from the caribbean from india from africa um, and they're never in the movies. And so you ha you can then see this narrative and this ignorance in society being fueled where people, you know, don't understand how these communities of people come to be in the UK. They don't understand the history. They don't understand, you know, this country was promised freedom mm -hmm. if they fought in World War One, and then didn't get they weren't given their freedom. And then they were told, yeah, yeah OK, one more war. <laughs> And, and then you'll get, it. you know, and it's just no one, no one knows that. And so part of me is frustrated more broadly at the system because, you know, you take your average little lad or ladette, is that a word, <laughs> person, your average person sure. in, you know, <laughs> Lancashire or whatever, in a predominantly white community, um, being taught a completely biased um you know, curriculum, not really being exposed to anything, you know, how are they supposed to be versed mm. in issues of mm. race, issues of um, anti-blackness issues? You know, how are they supposed to um, access that level of awareness? And yes, everyone has the internet now, mm. but, you know, there's got to be some broader social accountability of the state, I think, in this, in this sort of issue. Mm. It's it's difficult because I wasn't born or brought up here, um, but I think I don't know. Maybe maybe the state looks at it as well. This is a white country. This is a dominant white country. So therefore, there isn't really much need to discuss the history of people who aren't indigenous to this land. But I don't know. There, there's several arguments, isn't it, that you need to cater for all the people who live here, whether they were brought here or, or not. And also, don't lie. Just, yeah. just regardless of whether you're catering to them or not, the history is the history. The facts are the facts, and the fact that it yeah. can be bent to suit a certain agenda. Well, it's lying by omission. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I mean, you, you know, you say, um, uh, yes, probably the establishment views this as a white country and doesn't feel like it, in terms of the curriculum, needs to um address you know other races that that i use the word races um 
you know, people that live here for, that have immigrated or generations or whatever. But I think it's even more important because, you know, it, it's, it's important for every kid of this country to know exactly what this country did over the last several hundred mm. years to the rest of the world and why, you know, why that's important and, you know, why we do have, you know, different people who have fought for this country um, because we colonised them. And as you say, mm. we offered them freedom and stuff if they if they fought for us in the war. So it's, I think it's almost more important to sort of learn more about sort of the international context in which Britain pilloried the world. <laughs> I don't know, for want of a better phrase. The story mm. is different because Black Lives Matter isn't just about a problem exclusively with police brutality in the US, although that is obviously... Um, a, a huge, huge, huge aspect yeah. of it. But I think it's very convenient, and a lot of our politicians in the UK are very conveniently saying, oh, this is a US issue, this is a US problem. Mm. But when you have that level of ignorance in the UK, there is still a problem with racism in our police forces. There is still a problem, even in somewhere as uh, you know multicultural or populated as London, the Met Police mm. has not got the um <laughs> the perfect track record and, and then these <laughs> you know these huge institutions are, are ultimately individuals and those are individuals who are a product of our education system who are a product mm. of our society um and i think the danger with that is if you're all of that same belief and then you're in the same space doing the same thing you take on this pack mentality and then I think that's when you breed the fear. And then from the fear, you breed the hate. And then next thing you know, they're black people. So <laughs> not to oversimplify it, but I think, you know, that's, mm. that's what happens. Everyone in the same space, thinking the same thing, not having any sort of critical voice or analysis of what they feel. And so you've convinced each other and everyone around you that you're correct. Mm. You develop this culture of being really scared of letting anything new in because you need to then defend this truth that mm. you told yourself. I think that's, that is where the danger begins. And that can be in a school, that can be in, in government institutions. It's the same mentality, that pack mentality, where you need to stick together and stick to the company line. Um, that, can, that can be a problem. Yeah. And of, people of do lose their lives because of that, you know, really not to put too fine a point on it, but that's exactly what happens. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's... I guess it's important to remember these are actually the terms that we are talking. It is literally a life and death issue, um, as we've seen. Um, I get, I wanted to um, um, you put uh, in in your, in the in the body of your text that you wrote, um, Kaya, around um, it not being political to raise and discuss racism because oh, it's yeah. oh I feel strongly human rights. Jack. I feel very oh. about this. Well, I uh, it's felt again very pertinent again uh, today. I was reading. I don't know if you've seen, but um, uh, so um, Yorkshire tea bags and PG Tips have both uh, been tweeting Black Lives Matter, and they have uh, they've been challenged by um, racists. Let's say them, um, and they've <laughs> said. Don't, you know, don't buy our tea. And this was reported on the BBC. And the BBC uh, described... I haven't seen this. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. Well, they did... <laughs> so they, they described it as anti-racism critics have attacked the tea bags companies. <laughs> uh, 
Anti-racism. So the word for that is racists. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. Racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think so. I yeah. mean, I don't. You know, I, obviously the BBC <laughs> has to remain neutral and biased, but like, really, is this is is this? There isn't really two sides to this. They're they're racist. They're not anti-racist. <laughs> this is no. I mean, I think this is, and this goes. In yeah. fact, what what's the lady that you like, Naga? Um, the Manchetti. Naga Manchetti. <laughs> yeah, like. the, yeah. Well, that's a separate <laughs> that's issue. A separate. <laughs> that's a separate. That's Naga is all right. All right, <laughs> all right. Calm, calm yourself. Um, so, sorry, slightly irrelevant point there. Um, just you know, girlfriend salivating over the telly. Um, but what happened to her was exactly around this, wasn't it? You know, she's she um, was criticised for being political when specifically mm. um, talking about race and racism. And I think it's really, I'm very confused by this idea um, that being anti-racism, like, you know, is, is a political statement mm. because that suggests a poli anything political, there are two sides of and neither side is necessarily right. Um, you can just have different legitimate points of view. What are the legitimate different points of view on racism like i don't i don't understand that as a, a political concept um it's a human rights issue you know you wouldn't say something like oh you know the right to life is a bit of a political issue <laughs> yeah you wouldn't say oh you know the the ability uh you know uh, having a, a fair trial that's a political issue you I mean you wouldn't these are not political issues these are human rights issues it's like you were saying the other day we we're speaking about it race in the context of south africa as an example mm. and with apartheid and people having come out of that white people having come out, come out of that really see racism as a very binary thing i support apartheid or i don't i'm racist or i'm not Mm -hmm. And I think that that's not just limited to that particular country and that culture. I think it seems to me that a lot of white people feel the same way. If a white, if, if a white person is being told or feels as if that people think they're racist, they think, oh, you think I'm just going to lynch someone and hang them from a tree. Mm -hmm. There's, there's nothing in between. It's either that or, mm -hmm. or nothing else. Mm -hmm. There's no real understanding or want of understanding of the nuances you know, and I guess it goes back to the point I made about the being complicit. Mm. That you then need to really face that and think, mm, okay, I don't want to lynch anybody, but have I been doing things to to be complicit in upholding yeah. these racist values in a society that you know? Of and course, that's not the bar, is it? I mean, no. I don't want to lynch anyone. That's not no. the bar. <laughs> no. And I think you just. I think it's okay for us to say we expect a bit more than that. Just Sorry, like, <laughs> please. You know, I just, I just think that's really. I think the thing that actually it seems to me, but I will defer. But that the, the, that people can do, which is what I talk about in the post, is actually not a one-off thing. I mean, there are mm. one-off things you can do, and I, I link to black-owned businesses, and obviously there's um funds that you can donate to and, and all of these things but actually the material change that needs to be done is very slow mm. very unglamorous very exhausting and very uncomfortable it's about having that conversation with your nan having that conversation with your colleague having that conversation with your friends at a nice dinner party and you don't want to be awkward and oh you know don't want to be political um 
it's about actually no this is important and maybe I will be listened to more because I am a white person or because I am their friend or because I am you know their relation or whatever maybe just maybe they'll actually hear what I'm saying and and in order to have those conversations which will make a difference because ultimately you're affecting people who vote on things and vote in elections and have a space in society and accept what's happening around them or don't but in order to have those conversations you need to equip yourself with the information with the discourse okay what do i say when someone says all lives matter what 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 are the possible responses and rebuttals mm. to that mm. like you need to equip yourself you need to learn you need to to educate yourself oh you know what if when someone says oh you know any number of the ridiculous arguments which i'm not going to make for them mm. uh, that people with subconscious bias race racist biases have um, to to deny, for example, white privilege, um, you know, educate yourself on how you respond to those arguments so that when you walk into those conversations, you can have them and have them effectively and successfully. And that's hard work. It's exhausting. I've, mm-hmm. I've had to explain what white, white privilege is. Like, I couldn't even count how many times. Um, but, you know, that's one less time then a black person's going to have to do it and I think that's that's really important yeah I mean I've been saying this to sort of black friends and family members as well about you know the responsibility that you do have but also what trumps that is making sure you're being compassionate to yourself and doing your own self-care and if you really haven't got the capacity for it you don't need to do it Mm. you do enough by living (laughs) it is fine um, but if you do have the capacity to, you know, really do try, you know, you know, I'm on this podcast today, a little nervous, but you know, it's cool. But <laughs> I, I think Kai is absolutely right. For people who aren't black, who have black people in their lives or not, it, there really is a responsibility to make sure that these black people that you know travel through this world a little bit safer, feeling a little bit less um, othered, maybe I should say. Um, in spaces that they have no option, that, that they have to walk through it all the time. And it makes a difference. Mm. It, it certainly does. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, again, I, I recognize what you're saying about having those challenging conversations with, you know, people that you're friends with, people you love, like it, if, if they say things that are problematic or just outright racist, it, it, it's, it never feels good to challenge someone on that and I mean I'm I'm fortunate in that my close friends and family very rarely maybe it's just around me and I'm annoying I don't know but they they, I I rarely had to sort of make an intervention but there there are definitely times that I would hold my hand up and said where I have just ignored something for the want of an easy Mm. life but then that that is my white privilege um that I you know that I feel I can I don't want to have that conversation today and I can just decide not to have it I suppose I mean yeah I I, I, I think that's probably more of a thing in the past really and I, I where I needed to I think I have spoke up where where necessary but it you know it it is I guess about being willing to embrace the fact that you might be having an awkward half hour here mm. for the, you know, just be willing to accept and embrace that rather than shy away from it, I suppose. Mm. Mm. And also realising that it's always worth having the conversation because I think I said in the post, you know, the 
the the people you need to have conversations with aren't the out and out like you know want to lynch people people yeah. and you're very unlikely to be engaging you know the average person is very unlikely to be engaging with someone like that but people contribute negatively to this cause or people uphold the status quo by not actively being anti-racist so even your friends or your people that you know who are just not engaging with yeah. Black Lives Matter, who are just not reading about it, who are just like, this doesn't affect me. Yes, you know, wish them well, not against them protesting, but that's just over there, nothing to do with me. Even that is making a contribution, a negative contribution, because it's upholding the status quo. And yeah. I think a lot of the, like, you know, things on social media now is like, it's not enough just to be not racist yourself, you think. And we've already talked about the fact that we're all socialized with biases. It, you have to actively be anti-racist uh, if you really want to contribute, if you really want to do something. Um, and for whatever reason, people seem to be open to hearing that now. I, I think we've touched on a lot of the things that you, you, you sort of spoke about. But uh, I think one thing that um, I fretted over quite a bit was... Um, my immediate response sort of to to the to the protests and things was well firstly um me and my wife were we are self-isolating quite strictly while she's she's pregnant so it's going to a, a mass gathering of protests isn't something that we felt we could do if it were in any of the circumstances uh we we would have we would have been there so in the lieu of doing that the thought i felt the best thing that i could do was support financially uh, and i'm again privileged enough to be in a position where i can give some money to an organization. I think what I was fretting were, was there were just so many, I was kind of overwhelmed with how many options I had. I wasn't sure whether to donate to a, a US organization or something grassroots or, or something bigger or lots of small ones to lots of individuals. I gave some money to UK Black Lives Matter in, in the end, but I, I don't know if, if you guys had any, I don't know, are there any sort of specific causes or organisations that you feel are doing really good work around this, um, these issues and things that, you know, if people wanted to support financially that would be good to do so? I don't have any specific ones that I'm endorsing. I, uh, I don't have any specific ones that I'm endorsing, but I've heard of a few. So there's, um, I've seen, um, oh, I've seen, for example... Uh, obviously, you, you know about Black Lives Matter UK. There's a number of anti-racism charities. Um, there's uh, the individual funds, the individual funds for George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor. Um, my last news update check was that those um, involved in um, the case of Breonna Taylor still haven't, it's had less publicity or less exposure, so they still haven't, there hasn't been as much progress um, with that one. So in yeah. terms of online activism with um, that and, and her fund, that could um, potentially be a place people want to look to. But there's also, um, for example, I think uh, just charities uh, such as, I think it's Black Minds Matter UK that subsidise um, psychotherapy, uh, for black Britons who are struggling with these issues, struggling with what's going on uh, and can't access uh, 
therapeutic support or services. So they, I don't know exactly how their scheme works, but um, they're online and, uh, you know, I've seen the work they do. Um, there is also a legal charity that I can't remember the name of that is supporting with protesters who get arrested. Mm. Um, but there's a number of um, excellent um, resources um, with that. And I know the UK Black Lives Matter is linked with them. So a donation to them would probably cover off the same but I think I don't think it's there's ever a a bad place to mm. donate I mean so long as it's like verified obviously <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah I think this is why I was sort of reluctant to list any names because I haven't done any due diligence on any of them so I don't want to really see if that's the case but maybe maybe it's better to go with the bigger established ones mm. that have affiliates that, was... that they work with I think that was part of my thinking because I, I did, you know, I, I did do a little picking around and things that I don't know. There are either some very, very small organisations or mm. people that were just taking advantage of the fact that people are wanting to. Yeah, it's so difficult, money. isn't it? But yeah. also, I think going forward, though, in general, because what I worry about is like this wave of enthusiasm dying out. Yeah. Um, mm. But in general, I think one of the links I put um, was for black owned businesses. And I think yes. the intention of that was to help take some of the sting out of the various additional barriers those business owners will no doubtedly have faced and continue to face by virtue of their race even if it's people looking in the shop front and subconsciously not going in because mm -hmm. of who they see behind the till even mm -hmm. if it's something as tiny as that or something more systemic such as you know their ability to get a loan and, and be interviewed at a bank or, or whatever else and um and I think that kind of thing, you know, where you can, where, where you're, you know, if you need to buy a new lampshade, you know, there are, um, there's an incredible uh, black owned business. Uh, I do love them. I have, uh, I know the word binny is in the name, but I can't quite it's remember. Really but they do really incredible um, handmade uh, lampshades. It's really unique work and it's, you know, it's a business that I think deserves lots of support. But there's there's tons, you know, there's so many um, small business owners, small black business owners that, you know, if you can longer term um, start thinking about trying to support those sorts of businesses, um, then, you know, that is no bad thing. <laughs> That's great, thank you. Um, I guess uh, I think we've sort of covered most of the things I wanted to, to sort of ask and, and talk more about, but I don't know, is, are there any other things that you thought you might have a chance to say in, in this conversation that we haven't sort of brought up yet or anything else you want to sort of add to wrap up, I guess? I guess the only thing that I would say, just as a black person to any other black people out there, public service announcement, look after yourself and each other. I think it's it's so important because I think, um, uh, as I've touched on earlier, you know, there's this responsibility for this black person in this time. Oh, we're living through history. What will I tell my children? What will I tell my grandchildren? How can I feel proud of myself for having showed up for my people and all that? And that's fantastic. But take the time you need. Take a break if you need it. Ask those around you who are allies to help you, you know, um, and I just think that sort of thing is important. It, it's just as important to take time as it is to, to give energy at a time like this. Don't burn yourself out feeling you've got to do the good work and fight the good fight constantly because there, there is absolutely just no point burning yourself out. That's, that's mine, yeah. That's what I have to say. <laughs> 
I'm going to amplify the black voice in the room and just second that. <laughs> Is there something else you wanted uh, to say? There was one other thing. Amplify your voice, but this thing. What else? Stop talking. No, no, say your thing. Uh, my thing was the one thing that we didn't touch on that I did want to touch on um, particularly in light of upcoming events is that um, I think people feel again in the same sort of sense of like oh it's too political or whatever uncomfortable about talking to their children about race Mm -hmm. and um, certainly some of the um, publications I've been looking at and again I linked to it in the post about how young children actually are when they start understanding race as a concept concept and more worryingly because no one's talking about it to them how they absorb what's on television good characters being lighter or bad characters being darker and and they make their own assumptions and there's the dolls experiment that anyone can look up on on youtube online um, which just shows very very young children absorb racial bias um, so if you are parents um, of any any child, and, and this is people of, of color who are not black and, and, and as well as white people, um, it's, you know, there are appropriate ways of talking to children about race and dealing with those issues from quite early on, you know. Mm. Um, so yeah. don't shy away and think, oh, I don't, you know, it's too political or I don't want to sully their innocence or whatever because that's not the world they live in and that they're already absorbing negative ideas so do something proactive to to stop that here here thank you very much